0: Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 17 verse 5 at the Transfigura- on the mount of transfiguration He was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we'll begin to look at what the scriptures reveal about our Father in heaven, especially these statements. Then we'll begin to discuss what godly fathers on earth are like. If we don't get these foundational concepts about God right, we'll get everything else wrong. It is essential that we think rightly about God. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Did we get that? The Bible just said, If you don't know God, you don't know nothing. A.W. Tozer wrote a wonderful little book entitled The Knowledge of the Holy. It changed my life profoundly. The first chapter is called, of course, Why We Must Think Rightly About God. In it, he says, low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. He goes on to discuss what happens when a church breaks apart and crumbles. The first step down for any church, Tozer says, is taken when it surrenders its high opinion of God. Before the Christian church goes into eclipse anywhere, there must first be a corrupting of her simple, basic theology. She simply gets a wrong answer to the question, what is God like? And goes on from there. Though she may cling to a sound nominal creed, her practical working creed has become false. The masses of her adherents come to believe that God is different from what he actually is. And that is heresy of the most insidious and deadly kind. The heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of Him and of her. In all her prayers and labors, this should have first place. We do the greatest service to the next generation of Christians by passing on to them, undimmed and undiminished, that noble concept of God which we receive from our Hebrew and Christian fathers of generations past. This will prove of greater value to them than anything that art or science can devise. So the scriptures tell us that God is our father. The problem before us is that our earthly fathers were probably not very much like God. Most people would say of their fathers, either they were not there for us at all, Or they were there, but they didn't pay much attention to us. Or they were there, and they paid attention to us, but what they said to us and what they did to us was abusive, harsh, unfair, oppressive, demeaning. Hmm. Or they were there for us, and they did the best they could, but in that one area, or those areas, they grossly misrepresented our Heavenly Father, so badly that we can never quite manage to stop thinking that God is like that too. That God is a father like that. We tend to think of God as a lot like our earthly fathers. If he wasn't there for you, you've probably struggled with a sense of being abandoned by God. If he was harsh, you've probably struggled with a sense of rejection and have never quite understood that God loves you beyond the intellectual level. If your father was unfair, you have probably had a hard time believing that God will never change. If your father was an unrighteous man, perhaps you've had a hard time trusting God, or your level of admiration of God, these high opinions of God that Tozer speaks of, has remained low throughout your Christian life. For how many of us does this resonate? Every one of us, does it not? The job of a father is to represent the heavenly father and to introduce his children to God. For most people, when we think of our heavenly father as like an earthly father, we are thinking some thoughts unworthy of him, untrue thoughts. Perhaps When we think about God, what we come up with are thoughts not consistent with what God our Father has revealed of himself in the scriptures and in the church, the family of God, by the leading and ministry of the Spirit. As fathers, you will imitate the father you think you have. If you think of God wrongly, your worship of God will be inadequate and your imitation of him will really be imitation of someone else, a false God, a false idea of God. Let's go back to our text and look at that moment in history, unlike any other, when one time, clearly, we see what a perfect, what, what the perfect father is like. He speaks to his son, at his baptism and he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And again on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Looking at this text, we see what kind of a father God is. First of all, where is he at Jesus' baptism? He's he's there. He's, He's present. He's very present. He makes his presence known and felt. The Holy Spirit comes down and rests on Jesus and remains on him in like the form of a dove. This is how God would minister his presence to you. The father speaks to the son. He makes his presence known with his words. He doesn't sit there and look back or maybe pay attention to the TV while the kids are over there. This father, our real father, our heavenly father, whom we all share in most wonderfully, right now and forever. This father is present with his son, and with every one of his sons and daughters, saying one thing, this is mine. He says, you're mine. And he says it publicly to everybody watching, not just to the people gathered there around John the Baptist and and the Pharisees and the soldiers and the Country people of Israel and the people that came up from Jerusalem, like there were probably quite a few people there. But this was written in the scriptures for our benefit and edification. This was recorded for the world to see. So God declares over his son the same thing that he declares over all his children. And he says it publicly in front of the whole planet throughout all of the rest of history. He says, You're mine you are my beloved, beloved is such a wonderful word. It's like a, instead of going to the length of saying I love you, it's just naming you beloved. What a thought to treasure. All in one word, you are the beloved of your heavenly father. That's, that's sweet. He says to the Son, and again to all of us who share in the righteousness and the life of the Son of God. He says, with whom I am well pleased. I love that. Um, Some of us, uh, most people have known homes where they didn't know the pleasure of an earthly father where their father wasn't delighted in them or wasn't present or, or didn't say good things and speak blessing to them. Instead, maybe curses were spoken to them. But together, we here today know the pleasure of our father. One of my favorite verses in scripture is when the multitude of the heavenly host appear in the sky above the shepherds in the countryside and they declare to the shepherds what God's intent for the family of God is. They say, on earth, peace, you know the words, goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. I think about those verses regularly and have for a long time. And when I start to feel temptations of maybe God would reject me or God would disapprove of me like on some kind of fundamental level or maybe like Christ's righteousness didn't somehow completely cleanse me and wash me and I remain in my unrighteousness. I, I stop it. I stop those thoughts right there and I take authority over them with the scriptures. And I remember that word spoken by the multitude of the heavenly armies from heaven to these you know, pretty lowly fellows like me. And, and, and God says to all of humankind who are to become his people, those whom he has called and chosen, he says, peace. God's not at war with you. He would speak words of peace, of friendship, of reconciliation to you. His will toward you is not to harm you or to sometimes buy you a real nice birthday present and other times, you know, embarrass you in public. His will toward you is good will. Peace, good will. Get that. Take hold of that. God's will towards you is good will. Peace, goodwill toward men, meaning all of mankind. Um, who are called and chosen by God, all of the household of faith, on whom His favor rests. It was not just to Jesus that the Spirit descended like a dove and remained, representing God's presence and favor. Was it not to all of us? God is for you and not against you. He would speak. Thoughts of good to build you up and not to harm you. This is the gospel. Let's look at um, some more thoughts of what our Heavenly Father is like. The Father is like the Son. The Son perfectly represents the Father. Hebrews 1 says, Jesus is the exact representation of his being. Jesus is as the Father in all ways, in all, in, in all reality. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So how do we get to know how the Father treats us since he is a spirit and invisible and in heaven well, the first thing is that he has come down and humbled himself, incredibly humbled himself, and become as one of us. Like, which is crazy, awesome, incarnational, present love. And in the incarnation of Christ, we, we know who God is towards us. And as we see Christ working among his people in the scriptures, we get to know God's heart towards us. And what is that? What does the son do? The son heals. His hands aren't striking his people, They're, they're touching the unclean ones and the ones that other people think aren't acceptable in society. And you know, that's... Probably us, let's be real. His hands are touching the the leprous that everybody else is backing away from. His hands are here to be righteously placed on you in healing. Jesus ministers. Minister means serve, right? So from morning to night, often before the sun came up, he went out to pray to pray according to the will of God and for the will of God for the people he'd come to love and serve and save. And it says over and over in the gospels that Jesus was ministering, teaching, preaching, healing like all day. That's uh, you know, if you've known a, a long work day or if you've ever worked two full-time jobs at once or, or, you know, worked all day and come home and taken care of kids, you know how exhausting that can be. And if you are a dad or a mom and you've tried to muster up some attention and emotional energy to give to your children at the end of the day when you've had a long and maybe hard day, which Jesus often had, um, you begin to get a glimpse into the heart of the Father who always had time for those who came to Him. As you come to Him in prayer, as you come to him in the word, in your quiet scripture reading, as you come to him on Sunday morning in the assembly of the saints to fellowship with the Lord and worship him, he is with you to minister to you, to heal, and he has time and attention and energy for you. Isn't that like the best thing? This is, this is who our father is. This is what the father is like. He ministers. He is serving constantly. And he doesn't get tired of it. Every earthly father gets tired, you know, and, and has to muster up um, affection for his kids at maybe the end of the day, let's say. But the father is full of affection, goodwill, peace, and favor towards you all day. Jesus was self-sacrificially loving. Look at the crucifixion. Who would go to die for uh, like, a, a good person? I don't know, maybe, maybe somebody would die for a really good person. It's probably unlikely. Um, some people would die for their friend. But Jesus called us friends in the most wonderful and ultimate sense when he died for us when we were his enemies and made us friends, and called us brothers. Um, some months ago, uh, in one of John Weiss's sermons, he brought out the, how Jesus said to the women, go and tell my brothers. It was It was Jesus announcing the role that these men had in relation to him forever, that would never be taken away. And he said, he was saying, of course, to the women, you are sisters of me. I'm your brother, representing the heart of the father to his children, becoming like them and becoming related to them. What we have is a savior who is adopted us. It's not we were born children of God and he was stuck with us, it's, it's he chose us Before time began, he thought of us and deliberately reached out his intention toward us from eternity past and chose this one is mine. I'll have her as my daughter, I'll have him as my son. Like, how can we even think about this stuff? It's so wonderful. This is the gospel. This is the Father who loves us. This is what our Father is like. And in the cross, he, his love for us is not just uh, nice and sweet and generous and full of good intention and favor. It's self-sacrificial. He takes the hit for us when we were yet his enemies, when we were against God and didn't want him and we're lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of ourselves, lovers of idolatry. And we all were these. He sacrificed himself to reveal his eternal love for us. Another thing Jesus did is give Israel a place to live. Remember how he led them through the wilderness, um, Hebrews says the rock that followed them was Christ. Christ Christ was present with his people going before them. Remember how he appeared to Joshua? We talked about that some weeks ago. The messenger of the Lord or the angel of the Lord. He was present as their commander going before them, making room for them, driving out those that would harm them, just like Jesus was always casting out demons day in and day out making room for his people, making a safe place for us. He not only gives us a physical place to live, he gives us a spiritual home and he gives us a real family. And that's him as father and us as brothers and sisters and those who pass the faith down through, uh, to us as fathers and mothers. The scripture says, when father and mother forsake you, in the Psalms, I will take you up. How does he do that? He does that in the church, in the body of Christ. Jesus said to his followers Whoever of you has left father or mother or houses, lands, fields, everything for my sake and the sake of the gospel will not fail to receive a hundred times as much. That's no vain statement. That's no exaggeration for effect. He's being quite serious, but it's really much more than that. It's incomprehensible, the inheritance we've received in the saints. And when we, when we lack uh, an earthly example of a Christ-like father, a father who, who shares the father's heart, we can learn not only by the example of our spiritual fathers, um, the pastors and elders and shepherds among us. We can also learn by reading biographies of great men who love the Lord and of fathers who came before us. And we can be imitators in, in Christ, not just of those we have seen, um, but of those that we have not seen by reading. So it would probably behoove anyone who has not had a godly, fatherly example on earth to pursue reading Uh, biographies of righteous men of old who came before us and and learn by example from reading what a father looks like, what a godly father looks like. And we can grow in character and God can minister to us through the pages of a book like that. So God gives Israel a place to live and a family to be a part of. Not only do we have a home with God, but it's a welcoming home. Um, Many have known a home where maybe they were rejected by brothers and sisters like the Lord himself was or rejected by parents. But we uh, we are not in a home like that. This body of Christ, this family of God is a welcoming family. We're not foster kids. We're real kids. We're not doing a sleepover here. This is home. This is our forever family. People who have been through the foster system might know, use the term forever family. You know, this isn't somewhere where you're going to get bounced around. And so stay in the same church normally. That's good application of that. the Father feeds Israel. When the congregation of Israel left Egypt or were brought out of Egypt by God's mighty and merciful hand in the middle of the destruction of their enemies and the preservation of their lives and their children, God brought them where? Into a wilderness. Where were they going to get like crops and meat and milk and food. You know, they weren't going to, there was nothing there except the direct provision of the Lord. The Lord was bread to them in the wilderness. He was water to them out of the rock. All of our food come, that we eat comes from the Lord and God is constantly nourishing us not only physically but spiritually. He is the one who feeds us. The scriptures say, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. He sends his rain, not just on the righteous, but on the wicked. He's always causing rain to fall, that food might grow up out of the ground. How awesome is that, that he gives us like food that grows right up out of the ground? All we've got to do is work the ground. Like, that is, that's so cool. Like, that's really wonderful. That's That's very good. When you're tempted to think thoughts of God isn't good, renounce it. Go to the scriptures and remember what the scripture says. He causes rain to fall on everyone, including the wicked. He doesn't discriminate. He is caring for everybody on the planet and he is nourishing us. He's the one who feeds his people and so he feeds us. God disciplines Israel. A loving father understands the heart of the child in the disobedience and disciplines accordingly. When a child drops and breaks or spills something on accident, we help him clean it up and show him how to be more careful next time. And we don't make a bunch of bones about it. When a little child misbehaves because she's tired and hungry, we are patient with them and not too harsh. When a child Lies or as openly rebellious, that has more serious consequences. That's a totally different kind of offense. As parents, we imitate our Father's discipline of us, our Heavenly Father's discipline of us, not necessarily our earthly Father's discipline of us, which is usually woefully inadequate. In the way the Lord disciplines us, He does it for our good, and it's not pleasant at the time. It's, it's painful. But in bringing us through hard times and walking with us in the valley of the shadow of death and reproving and correcting us with his rod and rescuing us from the edge of the cliff with his staff, he is going to find us wherever we go astray from him. And we are always going astray from him. And praise the Lord, he's no unrighteous father who eventually says, that's it, I quit. When he set his love and his affection and his gaze toward you from eternity, he will follow it through and he will keep you in his hand and no one can take you out of his hand. The father of the prodigal son is a picture of the heavenly father And when the prodigal son has disgraced his father and squandered everything he was given as inheritance or kind of stole his inheritance, at the first sign of his son's returning, the father humbles himself publicly and takes off running, which, you know, like a you could imagine a real dignified father not just taking off sprinting in public. The father of the prodigal son runs to his son at the first sign of his son's returning. When you have find yourself far from the Lord, at the first sign of your returning in repentance and prayer and, and going to Him in the scriptures and confessing your sin to a brother or sister, the Father is already running to you to receive you and throw his arms around you and put the, the ring of his familial authority on your finger and give you a, a robe of righteousness and of, and of standing and dignity to clothe your shame and nakedness. And, and he's putting shoes on your feet so you're not barefoot anymore. He's, he's running to you at the first sign of repentance. But really, he was chasing you the whole time. This is the kind of father we have. He's good, he wants the best for us. He's righteous and just, so when there is sin, he has taken the initiative to sacrifice to 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 sacrifice himself and take care of that sin and make a way for our atonement for our our cleansing, so that we can be received back. he didn't. He didn't say, okay, you've sinned. All right, here's what you're going to have to do to get back to me. You're going to have to prove to me, really prove to me that you're going to do it right this time. And if you don't get it straight, I'm not coming to you. Instead, way before we were born, he came to earth and was crucified for our sins. And it's written in the scriptures that he prepared... uh, that he's prepared this home and family for us, and before we were even born, all these things were done. And when we sin, like everything's already taken care of, it's just a matter of of being received back by the Lord. And He receives us back, um, just as we, just as how we ran away as as full sons and daughters with full privileges, duties, rights and responsibilities of members of a family. There are no second class citizens in the kingdom. There are no like brothers that are better or, or sisters that are lower, right? There's nobody that you can look around and see who is on a different standing before God than you We're all his children. since God is your father, then you, we, are members of the family. If you've ever felt like you're on the outside looking in, um, then your perspective is probably flawed. You don't get to decide whether or not you belong because you feel like you're different than other people in the church of God. This is God's house, and he makes the rules. I'm not more important than others in the family of God. I am only one member. But I am one member. I'm not less important than those sitting around me. When we share the Lord's Supper later this morning at the end of our Sunday meeting, you can look around the room and see all the others who are equally members of God's family with you. We will stumble and fall, and make bad decisions, and uh, probably some horrible decisions, like most children do, like all children do. But that doesn't kick us out of the family of God. Amen? Amen? We will experience the loving discipline of God which isn't pleasant at the time, but rather painful. And this is yet another proof that we are legitimate children of God. As we prepare to close, I'd like to draw our attention to an excellent book by Douglas Wilson called Father Hunger. And read through his meditations on what the Father is like as seen in the Gospel of John. He says, here is a foundational question. What is God the Father like? Over the years, I have heard my own father talking about an assignment he has given countless times to victims of our father-hungry generation. Suppose that someone is converted to the Christian faith and he wants to be a good husband and father. He thinks of it as a good thing and so he is all for it. The only problem is that his father ditched when he was only two and he doesn't have a good grasp of what fatherhood is even supposed to look like. My father has often told young men and women in this kind of position to read through the Gospel of John, taking special note of everything that is said about God the Father. We learn what tangible fathers are supposed to be like by looking to the intangible father. And we look to him by looking at Jesus, the one who brings us to the father. If you'll bear with me for a few pages, we can walk through just a small portion of what John reveals for us. There's enough here to spend a lifetime unpacking it, but there's also great edification to be found in just a survey. The son reveals the father's glory a glory full of grace and truth, John 1.14. The Son is the revelation of the invisible Father, a revelation straight from the Father's side, one eighteen. Zeal for anything associated with the Father's honor consumed the Son, 2.16 and 17, which means the Father is honored above all. The Father reveals himself to the Son in words, 3.34. The Father is generous and open handed, 334 through 36. Because it proceeds from love, this is not an absent minded largesse, it is generosity. The Father seeks out worshipers, 423 through 24, true hearted worshipers. The Father works, 517. The Father works as an exemplar for his Son, 518 through 23. The Father trusts his Son and turns tasks over to him 518 through 23 the father seeks honor for his son 518 through 23 the father ties his reputation together with the reputation of his son 518 through 23 the father is life essential 526 and he shares this life with his son to possess in the same way. Put yourself in these shoes. This is, there is an essential consistency between the father and the mission given by the father to the son. 5.36-38 To miss his witness is to miss him. The pretense that coming in the father's name could just be another human con job is revealed in this. If it had been just another con job people would have accepted it. through The father is willing to hear the testimony of Moses against his ostensible disciples. 5.45. The father set his seal on the son of man. Remember in Ephesians 1 it says, he has set his seal on us. Put yourself in these shoes. The father is a giver of bread from heaven. He gave the manna in the wilderness and he gave Jesus the ultimate bread, 632. The Father gives the elect to the Son and does so irrevocably. We can't be taken out of his hand. The Father gives the elect to the Son along with instructions on what to do with them. The will of the Father is to give eternal life to anyone who looks on the Son with true faith. I don't think we're going to have time to finish all these. Um, Wilson says that the treasures of what the Father is like, found in the Book of John, is like a mine full of a mine full of diamonds. It's hard to even know how to carry them all out, and once you get them out, it's there. Are, there are about a billion different ways to cut them, and you can meditate on these things for a lifetime. I'm going to leave uh, the rest of this for those of you who read father hunger since we're out of time. It's in the second to last chapter, and it has been a treasure to me just reading his summary. No matter how good our fathers were, none of them were good enough that they didn't need to renew their minds in Scripture and meet with God for renewal over and over and over again. So, only by continually going back to being with our Father in the communion, the togetherness of saints, and in the scriptures and in prayer, only by going back to being with our Father can men in His church become good fathers that imitate Him. Let's close in prayer. Father, you're wonderful and you're gracious you're generous, as we look through all the scriptures that describe you, we see that over and over and over, the thing that stands out and summarizes your actions toward your people is that of your generosity. You're generous with yourself, with your time, with your son, with your favor, with your forgiveness, with your money, with your possessions. You're always working on our behalf. You're always looking out for our good. You're always bringing about the future of the kingdom. And awesomely, you're using us to do it. Even calling us like fully your children and making us your ambassadors who somehow represent you and bear your image. This is awesome to us because we're but dust. But you in your might have figured out how to make Lowly people like us, needy people, people with lacks, people of uh, many mistakes, somehow represent you in a way that rightly glorifies you and pleases you. And that is awesome. And we're inadequate for, for the task, but we know that you do what we cannot do. So now, Lord, we ask that as parents... Um, especially fathers, you would give us an understanding, an understanding that goes beyond what the mind can grasp, but an understanding that gets into our being of what you are like and what you are like for us and what your heart for us is, so that we can be likewise generous to our children, generous with our time, with our affection, with our presence, with our words of blessing and not cursing. And we pray for power in your Holy Spirit to do so. We can't think of anyone better than you. Nobody could ever imagine a God or a Father more wonderful than you. And so today we worship you. Amen.